All right, at this time, it's my honor and privilege to present to you Mr. Vince Frantum, who has a bachelor's degree in psychology. He's in the commercial cleaning business. He's been a hospital administrator over human resources. He's a father of two and a newlywed and a newcomer to Generations Church in Granbury, Texas. Vince Frantum. Thanks, Pastor. Thank you. Uh, for those of you, uh, we have some notes in the back. If you haven't gotten them, they're in the back there. Uh, we're going to follow along the outline. Uh, the reason I give the outline is because if the Holy Spirit decides to take us in another direction, uh, this outline is available for you to study on your own. Plus, what I will do is I will give Pastor my my notes that I have studied from these, and you'll have those so you can fill in the, the blanks. But uh, just some information there and also the outline of, the, of what we're going to teach on this morning. Um, you know, when Pastor asked me to teach about trials in, in the context of, uh, chap- of Chapter 1, um, it was it was like a perfect timing because I'm really going through a lot of trials. Besides the fact that I do have two teenage sons of my own, I I inherited two other teenage sons when I married Grace, and so I've got four teenagers I'm dealing with simultaneously. Uh, and then on top of that, I've been I've been married almost six months now. Uh, the honeymoon is kind of fading away, and we're starting to get to the reality of what marriage is about. And so there's some trials there in our communication, and that's we're working through that, and that's good. Um, four months ago, uh, I lost my job. I have not found a steady job yet. God's been providing. He's good. But the trial and the pressures of that are going on as well. And so things are coming up in life, and, and, and all of a sudden I'm studying about trials. And I went from, Lord, why is this going on, what's happening, to now I'm going to, Lord, what is it you're trying to show me in my heart? Instead of saying, what's going on out here with the circumstances, I'm now saying, Lord, what's going on inside me? What is it that you want me to learn before these circumstances change? And so I hope tonight, this, tonight I'm going to be able to share with you a little bit about what James is trying to say to us about our Christian faith. Because really, this talks about trials, but at the core of these trials are faith our faith in God and in his character. So if you look at me first, we're going to look at the context of the trials, and, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about the epistle. As uh, Pastor shared with us last week, uh, the epistle was written sometime between 42 and 49 A.D. They're not really sure, but they know it was written before the, the Council of Jerusalem, so it was written, written well before 55 A.D. Um, but James, the main theme that James pronounces through this epistle is that you show me my faith by works, and I will show you faith without works. Okay, and that was what he was saying was, some people show me faith through their works, and some people say, I don't worry about my works because I have faith. What James is trying to say is the same thing as what Paul was saying in Romans. They were just having two different viewpoints. Paul was about faith and works, but James was saying it's about works and faith. They, were, they just had it flipped around in two different ways. A good analogy is a quarter. Is a quarter a quarter on the head side, or is it a quarter on the tail side? There's two different viewpoints depending on which side comes up. Two different ways of looking at it. And this is what it is between works and faith, between Paul and James. Paul in Romans said, in the, uh, the, uh, he said, a man is justified by faith apart from the works. But James said, a man is justified by his works because of his faith. So we have really two different authors saying the same thing in different ways. The key words through the epistle we're going to find is, first of all, faith. Faith is mentioned 16 times here. 
works is mentioned 13 times, and doers is mentioned four times. And so although most people think that the epistle is about works, there's a fluid, discernible order that James gives us in this epistle. Now, I would make you a challenge, because I, I took the challenge myself, and I've started it this week. When, when Pastor Paul, uh, when Pastor Allen uh, started teaching, I said to myself, I'm going to read this epistle every day, one time through. I would challenge you to do that yourself, because you will find that by the time the first week goes through, as you start to read through it, it, it just starts opening up a whole different viewpoint of what you think it's going to say. My challenge then is going to be I'm going to read this epistle until all the way through till January. So I'm looking at, what, four or five months? I would make that challenge to you. For four or five months, every day, it took me 15, 20 minutes to read it. I'd make that challenge to you to do it. And I think you will see that God will open up a whole rich treasure about where you are in your walk with him in faith, works, and trials, and when they come upon you. But most of all, what I want us to understand is that the stability here in James is not centered on his works. It's centered on what he says about faith. In 1, 1 2 through 2.21, he says faith is tested and shown by our tests. In 1.22 through 2.1, he says faith is shown by our works. And then in chapter 3, he says that faith is shown by our words. And so we have it shown by our test, by our works, by our words. Chapter 4, he says that faith is shown in our lives by our unworldliness. In other words, our lack of unworldliness declares that we have faith. He says faith is shown by our patience under cruel wrongdoing. And then in the fifth chapter, he says that faith is shown by our believing and effectual prayer. So the context of this book, of the trials, is the particulars of true faith. The entire book is about the particulars of true faith. Now, the, the, the characterization of trials, the pictures of true faith, is that every test, every trial, every temptation is designed to prove our character. It is designed to bring the quality of life and to direct it towards having faith in God in such a way that he is glorified and we are matured to Christ-likeness. What we need to understand is that the thing that God uses here is the mind of Christ. He says that we need to have the mind of Christ in order to deal with our trials. And so what we see here is that the very thing that he wants us to have, the mind of Christ, if we go to the Word of God, we'll see that Christ himself exemplifies this very thing. You remember Jesus in the temptations. When he was, the Spirit led him to those temptations. It wasn't the devil came after him. It was that the Spirit led him there because Jesus needed... He didn't need to prove to the Father. He didn't need to prove to himself because he was God. But he did this to prove that he was able to relate to us in every way. And so in these temptations, we're going to find that prior to his ministry, the devil came to him, and there were three temptations, three types of trials that he occurred. First of all, there was the trial of provisions. The devil came to him, and what did he ask him to do about the rocks? Change it to bread. And yet God... God had in the word of God, he said what? Jesus quoted it. You shall what? Not tempt the Lord thy God. That every word of God is there for your sufficiency, for your provision. And so Jesus was not tempted to use his godliness, to use his ability to call on God to create bread. 
He said, no, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And then he said in the second one, he said, protection. Not only was there about provision and, and substance, okay, there was protection and security in God. What did the devil say? To get up on the pinnacle, do what? Throw yourself down, and the angels will take care of you. And what did Jesus say? Don't tempt the Lord thy God. He wasn't worried about whether he would die or not. He was more worried about where he stood in relationship to his father. He said, I'm not going to tempt the Lord my God. And so we see here that there's provisions and substances, there's protection and security, and the third temptation was the promises. The devil asked Jesus to do what? To bow down before him, and I will give you the kingdoms of the world. And, and God refused. He refused to do that. He refused to give up God's rightful authority as God. And he would not bow down. And what did the devil do? He, he fled. And so we see the three promises there, the provision, protection, and, and <clears throat> uh, promises in the temptation of Jesus. But what's interesting, if we go back to the Old Testament, we see the same thing with the Israelites. When the Israelites' first trial came about, their trial was what? Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And God did what? He protected them by taking them out of Egypt. He sent Moses to them, and he led them out of Egypt and protected them, because when the Egyptians came after them, what did God do? Eventually, he destroyed them. Only because Israel was willing to be faithful in following Moses out. Now, did they grumble? Did they gripe? Yeah. Do we grumble and do we gripe? Yeah. It's part of our nature. But God is always faithful even when we are not faithful. So we see the first protection from Israel was that he led them out of Egypt. The second trial was about provisions. When they were going through the wilderness, did the sandals on their feet wear out? Did their clothes wear out? They were given manna. They were given water. God gave them provisions. Now, it wasn't a sirloin steak, you know. It wasn't a six-pack of Coke. In other words, it wasn't what they were expecting. But God doesn't say, I will provide all your wants according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He says, I will give you all your needs. And these were the things that God knew that he needed to get through this part of the trials for growth and character. And then the third one is that the third trial was about crossing over into the Jordan into the promised land. And here's where Israel and Moses decided not to have faith in God. And so instead of going into the promised land when they should have, what happened? They had to go back and wander for another 40 years. And that generation died away. And even Moses was not allowed to go back in there because he did not take God seriously by faith. And so when they came back, after that generation passed away, Joshua, who by faith believed, took them across into their promised land. God kept his promise. It just wasn't in their timing. When we go through our trials, God keeps his promise. It's just sometimes not the way we think it should be done, not in our timing. So we see it in Jesus' temptations and Israel's wilderness. We also see it in the apostles' life and in the words of Jesus. In Luke 2.28, Jesus said, that you are those who have stood beside me in my trials. Now, did they always succeed? No. Jesus asked Peter to stay watch with him while he went to pray. What did Peter do? He slept. Jesus came back and said, you couldn't even 
couldn't even pray with me. <laughs> you know, but Peter was tired. He gave into his physical. But still, Jesus said that you are those who have stood by me in my trials. In Hebrews 2, verse 18, it says, For since he, Christ, himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is also able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Everything Jesus did, every temptation, every trial, every situation, it wasn't to prove that he was the Son of God, because we knew he was. It was so that he could succor, so he could come alongside and understand everything we went through, everything we're going to go through, and be able to come alongside and give us the way of escape. And so we understand that in, the, in Acts 20, Paul himself says that he served the Lord with all humility and tears and trials which came upon him through the plots of the Jews. Paul had faith. He suffered. He endured. But his words proved what was true, that God will always see us through those trials if we believe in him. Second Peter himself said that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. So we looked at the characteristics of trials, which is a picture of true faith. Now we, let's look at the circumstances of our trials, the pattern of the true faith. And this is the part where I believe we really need to look at we really need to focus on because it's a part where we need to have not just knowledge, but we need to have understanding, practical understanding. And we see, first of all, in verse 2, James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. This is the assessment of the trials, when you encounter various trials. The Greek word here, periosomos, means testing. It doesn't mean a temptation from, from, from sin. It means a testing or a provenness. Okay? It is a test or a testing which, which is divinely permitted, and it can be physically outward or psychologically inward, but it's a character growth that leads us towards Christ-likeness. It is, the Greek word connotates trouble. It's sort of like it, what it says is it says something that breaks the pattern of peace. It's something that could break the pattern of comfort or something that could break the pattern of joy and happiness in your life. Not for the sake of making you miserable, but for getting your attention off the, off the things of the world and on the things of Christ. And so often in our lives, we get into these ruts, we get into these patterns of comfort. You know, we get into these patterns of, of feeling like everything's going great or we're happy and we're joyful. But really somewhere inside, there's a, there's a deficiency or a devoidness of where our relationship is with God. And he wants to get a hold of us sometimes. And so he'll break that pattern of comfort or he'll break that pattern of peace or happiness through circumstances to talk to us. And it's not that we're doing anything wrong. But you know, James says, in, in, he says, to him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And sometimes the right thing is what? We need to have fellowship with God. We need to be in his word. We need to be praying. We need to be making sure that we are in fellowship. Okay? And when we get out of those habits, or we have those types of, of, of disciplines, God sometimes needs to get our, our control, get our, our attention. And so he brings along things, and what he says here is, consider it all joy. And we're going to get to that word joy in a minute here. So, one of the things I found in the book of James is that when he does testing, that God does testing through I found 13 different types of tests in James, 13 different types of tests. And you'll see here on the testing of the face sheet, I listed them for you. I'm not going to go through them right now. It's something you can study later. But basically, it's a test of perseverance, 
the test of blame and temptation, the test of response to the word, the test of impartial love, of righteous works, the test of the tongue, of humble wisdom, of worldly indulgence, of dependence, of patient endurance, of truthfulness, of prayerfulness, of true faith. And if you look at this list, it's all about what? It's all about character. It's all about our relationship with God. It's all about growth. And so James is going to be talking about these 13 different types of tests as we go through the book of James. But regardless of the test, regardless of the trial, regardless of the temptation, in every way, they are being used by God to draw us back to him. In every way, the Lord is providing direction. In Psalm 119.71, he says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. In every way, the Lord always provides not just that what we need for our growth, but he also provides the way through it. Because it says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 that no test, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be, what? Tempted. Tempted or tested beyond what you are able. But with that, he will provide the way of escape. Or as the original Greek says, the way through it. Some people say escape means to get out of it. You know, when we pray, we go into a trial, we go, oh, God, I'm ready to get out of this. I can't learn my lesson, Father. And we don't get out of it. Well, sometimes the lesson isn't because he wants us to get out. It's because he wants us to go through. Mm-hmm. He wants us to learn, just like Jesus had to go through it every time. Jesus had to go through everything so that he could be tempted in all ways so that he could relate to us. And so God gives us these trials and temptations, not for only our spiritual growth, but Paul says in Corinthians, he says, that the God of all comfort, who comforts us with the comfort which he comforts, gives us that comfort that we might comfort others. And so the trials that we go through are also trials that we are going to be using in our growth to comfort others and to show them God's love, his patience, his loving kindness, his wisdom, his understanding, and his faithfulness. And we can say, I've been there and done that, brother. Let me share with you what God was talking to me about. And so he tempts us, but he gives us the way of escape as well. So that's the the assessment of the trials. The attitude of the trials in verse 2a, consider all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. The word count here means to evaluate. It's a mathematical term. It's a a ledger used by a bookkeeper term. And what he was, he wants us to take a good look at why the trial of temptation is coming into our life. Evaluate it. Paul tells us that we are to test ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Or do you not know this, that about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, and that unless indeed you what? Fail the test. Okay, now, we're not talking about failure of character. We're talking about failure of response to God's leading. No man is a failure because every man is in Christ. What, what we need to do is understand that sometimes we make the choices not to grow that's not failure. That's a choice. Failure means you have the inability. We all have the ability to make the right choice. We all have the ability to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to what? The power that works within us, the Holy Spirit, and that word of God that the Spirit reveals. And so we understand that he says, count, evaluate, look hard at your life, understand what's going on. Because if you do that, he then says, count it what? All joy. Now, the word joy in Greek here 
means to be delighted or to consider or to evaluate the trial wholly joyful. And the word joy in the Greek is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's not happiness. What the word here means is that we are to be delighted by knowing that what we are doing is pleasing to the Lord. Let me give you an, ex- an illustration. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the joy we are to have is an understanding that whatever trial we go through, whatever happens, whatever, whatever we grow from or whatever is occurring in our life, that pressure, that trial, whatever it is that God's taken us through, we are going to do it God's way. We're going to do it for God's glory. We're going to do it in God's timing. And doing it that way is going to glorify God. And you see, that's what Jesus was all about. Jesus tells us in the book of John, he says, he says that all that the Father has asked me to do, I will accomplish. He says also that my will is not to do the will of him who sent me, but to do everything that he has asked me to accomplish. See, the will of God was Jesus' joy. And so what, Paul, what James is saying here is that consider it, evaluate what's going on in your life, and realize and be joyful about the fact that God is working in you for his good pleasure, for his glory, and to grow you into Christ's likeness. Now, I'm sure we're all parents here at one time or another. We all have kids. I'm assuming some of us maybe not. But when we are when we are parents, our joy is what? To see our kids obey and grow and avoid the mistakes that we don't that we made, you know? And and to do the right things and we feel proud when they do that and we go, "Wow, see, you did it great and look what you you didn't have to worry about this." God's the same way with us. He has given us everything we need to become Christ-like. But the battle of fighting that sin nature, the battle of fighting the world, the battle of fighting Satan, is about our character. And as we grow in his grace and his knowledge, as we grow in his understanding, as we grow in his discernment, he applies that to our life in such a way that when we are strong in him and a trial comes, wow, God, this is great, man, I'm ready. Okay, I know how to handle this trial. The joy set before him for Jesus, he endured the cross. Was it easy for him? No. In Gethsemane, what did he say? Father, if there be any way that this can pass, you know, man, I'm ready. I <laughs> Take it away. But, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. It's God's will that we should grow. It's God's will that we should mature into Christ-likeness and thereby glorifying him and giving him the honor and the praise. So we consider all joy. The delight and the joy of going through our trials is about obtaining the will of God, Christ-likeness in our character and life. It's never about being joyful for the trials. Understand that. We're not joyful for the trials. Anybody here says they love trials? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't love them. But it's, a, it's, it's the joy of being in the trials. When they happen, when they happen, we shouldn't be walking around saying, oh, Lord, why, why is this happening to me? We know why. Because he's choosing to make us mature. He knows we're ready to encounter that trial. He knows we're ready to endure that trial. And so as it comes upon us, what we need to do is pray for what? Wisdom. 
Now, notice it also says there, consider all joy when. Not when or whenever, but the expectations of a Christian is that we will go through trials. We will go through trials because it's how God matures us in our, in our nature. When you encounter the word encounter there, it means that when you come into and actually fall into something that surrounds you. How many of you have gone through a trial and it just seems like it's overwhelmed you? That's because God wants us in all aspects to, to lean on him, emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually. And sometimes God will put us right into a trial that will affect you in such a way that it's going to, you're going to have to draw your resources from him. One of the things that I, I'm learning in this four-month endurance of no employment is how to love my wife. Because, you see, women are very susceptible. To, they need that security. And, and Grace and I talk about this all the time. You know, she, I mean, she needs that financial security, knowing that her man is going to take care of the family. She needs that provision. And, you know, we pray together, and, and I let her, when, when she's in fear, I let her feel the fear, and I talk to her about it. But you know what? It, it's taxing me. And it's taxing me not just in patience and in endurance. And sometimes when she gets a little bit on the edgy side, I don't take into consideration the wrong suffered. But the bottom line is it's taxing me to learn how to grow in love. I'm learning to love her more like Christ. And as I love her more like Christ, she then becomes more secure, thus accomplishing the will of the Father. And so... When you fall into that trial, be ready because it will probably surround you. It will, it will encompass you. Various, the word various there just means manifold. First Peter 1.6 says when he declares, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And so what we see here then, the attitude of the trials, consider all joy when it happens because God's going to surround you with it and he's going to use it to make you grow. That's what that verse is talking about. Now, the advantage of the trials in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The word knowing there, gnoskonisa in the Greek, means because you know. It is a knowledge of experience, experimental knowledge. It's not a head knowledge. It's not well, you read it from a book and you know it. It's you go through it and you learn from experience. And what James is saying here is knowing that the testing of your faith, the knowledge you have, is because... You went through it. And again, if we go back to what Hebrews says about Jesus, it says Jesus was what? Tempted in all ways that he might relate to us. Jesus' knowledge wasn't because he was the Son of God, that he was God and he knew all things. It was because he was born and lived and encountered the world and the testings and the trials of men because he was a man. He had that experiential knowledge. He endured to the end. So that when he sat up at the right hand of the Father, he could look at the Father and say, you know, Lord, you know, Father, I know what he's going through. I can help him. I can supply him the word. I can supply him the spirit. I can give him the faith. I can give him the endurance, Lord. Father, he's mine. I can help him. I can make him. I can grow him. And he can say that with confidence because he's been through it. And, you know, I, I know God. He's sitting up there, and every time God, Jesus speaks about us and how he knows and understands, you know, I know in the mind of God, God's just saying, well done, my good and faithful son. Well done. You endured to the end. You provided through the cross. 
and now you're up here representing your people to me. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to give us that ability to grow and mature and become Christ-like. And then, like Christ, to what? Minister and love and, and serve one another and come around and be there to help them. And that's what it, the, the advantage of our trials is. And what it does is it produces endurance. The word hypomoma in there means steadfastness or patience of endurance in face of difficulties. It means staying power. It's not just the endurance of, oh, well, man, I'm glad that's over. No more trial. <laughs> oh, here comes another one. What's going on? No, it's, okay, Lord, I learned from that. What else do I need to learn? It's, it's the ability to endure till the end. And that is what the advantage of these trials are in verse 3. Verse 4 says, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're talking about the accumulation of trials here. What James is saying is let endurance have its perfect or its maturing result. The word let there in the Greek means to cooperate. So what James is saying is, is that as these trials come, cooperate. Don't fight God. Don't resist. Don't step back and run. Put your head down and get right into it because God's ready to help you go through it. And it means to give into the testing, to allow what God is doing to work in your life, participate in those lessons uh, in the trials he's trying to teach you. The perfect result, teleo in the Greek, it means an accomplished work of maturing. Now, this is not a reference to sinless perfection. What this is a reference is, is about growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to match that which you have in your spirit with your soul. You see, Colossians 2 tells us that we are what? Complete in Christ. What he's talking about is our spirit. When the spirit of God, when the spirit of Christ comes in us, we become what? Paul says in Corinthians, one spirit. So we are complete in Christ. All that Christ have, we have in the spirit. We have the ability to use all power, all knowledge, everything that Jesus has. We have the ability to use it if we ask in faith. And what James is saying here is now, what I want you to do is let this maturing result happen. Bring that which you are in the spirit, a son of God, into reality in your soul. Give me your heart, God says. Have the mind of Christ, not the mind of the flesh. Mature and grow in your soul so that you have the ability to become Christ-like to the world. And therefore, the light that you shine is a light that will glorify God through your life. In John 17, 4, Jesus said, I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. In Philippians 2, 13, he says, For it is God who is at work in you, both the will and the work for your good pleasure. So we see what God, the, the work that's going on there is the work of the walk of love. God is trying to teach us to love him as Christ loved him. The work of the law of the Old Testament, there's two things the work of the law portrayed. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love others as the same. That's the walk of love. In Ephesians 5, in verse 1 and 2, it says that we are to walk in a sacrificial of love, walk as Christ walked in love, as a sacrificial aroma unto the Lord. 
And so what we need to understand is that all these trials are trying to teach us about our walk of love and how we can love the Lord and use the Word of God and the Spirit of God to overcome these trials and to gain wisdom and understanding. Now, a question could arise, and it says, Matthew 5.48 says, Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. What does that mean? How, how, can, how can you say, be perfect like, like the Father is perfect? What Matthew is saying here is that just as God's actions match up, now watch this, just as God's actions match up with His Spirit and His character, let your actions match up with the spirit and character of Christ in you. That's what that verse means. You see, God is consistent in all that he does because he is that way in his spirit and in his soul. We are to be consistent because we have the spirit of Christ and we are trying to mature our soul to Christ's likeness, to the mind of Christ. So when, when Matthew says, be perfect like God, that's what he's telling us to do. Let your character, let your life, let your works match that which is true about you in the spirit. And it should be coming and maturing in your soul. And he says, let it be complete, lacking in nothing. The word complete here means complete in all its parts, meaning that we have been given, all that we have been given is working towards our complete accomplishment it's all portions that are given to us. In other words, what he is saying is that you may be complete and, and, and uh, perfect, lacking in nothing. In other words, again, you already have everything you need. You already have everything. Let me give you an example. How many of you here pray, God, give me more love? Why? You don't need it. Romans tells us that the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart in Christ Jesus. And if that love has been shed abroad in your heart and that love is complete in your heart, the only thing we have to do is what? Ask for wisdom to apply it in the situation we're in. You see? Do we ask for strength? Lord, give me strength. Well, wait a minute. Ephesians says what? I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think, wow, how? To the power that works within me. So instead of saying, Lord, give me strength, Lord, how do I appropriate the strength I already have now in the Holy Spirit? You see, it's not an issue of whether we have it or not. It's an issue of do we have the wisdom to appropriate that which God has already given us. And the key there is, if we don't know, it's because we haven't gotten into the Word. Because when the Word of God is in you, God says, that he, Jesus said, He will send you another comforter who will what? Bring back to remembrance all things that I've spoken to you. The Holy Spirit can't speak to you in remembrance if you're not reading the Word of God. And so we need to understand that we lack in nothing. The conditional here, it's conditional, not absolute, only because we do it by studying the Word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal to us wisdom and understanding in all things. The book of Hebrews in chapter 5 tells us that Jesus himself was made perfect. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. You see, suffering added nothing to Jesus' eternal character. He had everything already. But the one thing he didn't have was understanding what we were going through. 
And so God sent his son so that he could relate to us and understand us and then meet our needs in every way, as only God could. What it did do when Jesus came down to suffer was to teach him to be able to sympathize with mankind and to share the human condition so that he had a commonality with us. And then when he went back to the Father, he sent his spirit that we might have a commonality with him. And so when we walk in the spirit, Christ not only understands us, but he gives us the power and the wisdom and the understanding and the ability to do whatever it is that he asks us to do. And that's what it means about endurance having its perfect result, that you may be complete, lacking nothing. Now, sometimes we ask ourselves, why doesn't God get us out of this trial? Um, sometimes we wonder, why isn't he answering our prayer? Well, I'm going through this trial. And sometimes we say, Lord, I'm going through this trial, but I just don't feel like I'm growing. And I think the thing we have to ask ourselves more than anything else is, are we praying with the wrong perspective? And that's what we talk about in the fourth point here, the contemplation about trials, the perspective of trial, trials in our faith. It says here, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Verse 5. Who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see the word wisdom here, Sophia, means simply the perspective or orientation of seeing life as God sees it. That's what it means. The perspective or orientation of seeing life as God sees it. We don't always see life the way God sees it. I know for me, I'm the number one person when it comes to being selfish. And so I have to see my selfishness in God's perspective. My wife hates it because she's always saying, I always say to her, oh, man, you know what? My heart is so sinful. And she goes, why do you keep putting yourself down like that? I said, that's not putting myself down. That's reminding myself of the truth, that I have a heart that's deceitfully wicked above all else. And the moment that I stop recognizing that, it will take off and lead me down the wrong path. And so every morning I get up and I say, Lord, my heart is yours. I can't handle it without you. My sin nature will run away with me the moment I allow myself to stop. And so what it's saying here is the requirement is if you lack wisdom, you need to ask God for that divine perspective. Lord, I don't understand. I can't, I, I'm not perceiving. I don't see what's going on here, Lord. And, and maybe it's about me, Father. Maybe it's not about my circumstances. Maybe it is, and sometimes it is. I'm not saying that that isn't. But more often than not, the trials are about the circumstances that are coming against us to help us to mature and grow for Christ's likeness. And so if you lack wisdom, if you don't have an understanding, if you're lacking what it means to understand what God's trying to do, ask him. And the action is that we are to ask in faith. Now, asking in faith is our part. And then it says, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. That's the assurance that God's going to do his part. But the Bible tells us what? If you ask not, you will not receive. Asking, you have to ask in faith. Our part is asking, God's part is giving and providing. And he just doesn't give us a little bit. He doesn't just give us something. It says here, who gives to all men generously. Now watch this, because this is a good key. And without reproach. 
Now, why would James say that? Because a lot of times when we're going through trials, our human nature and the devil has a tendency to make us feel like we did something bad or wrong. And we're thinking, well, if I don't get my life right, if I don't correct this problem, God's not going to give me what I need. That's, that's the biggest lie the devil can give you. God gives it to you without reproach. He will, you ask him for wisdom, you ask him for understanding, you ask him for knowledge, you sincerely ask him to show you your heart, God will just pour it out on you. Because he delights in that. He delights in growing and maturing us as a father does a child. You know, we always point to the, the verses in Hebrews that says, you know, he disciplined a, a son as a father disciplines the son. God disciplines us. We always talk about the discipline. Well, what about the other side? God rejoices when we, when we climb into his lap and say, give us, give us an idea, Father. Give us insight. Give us understanding, Lord. Help me, Father, to, to understand who I am and how to love my wife and how to love my children and how to be respectful in my work. God loves to hear that from us. And so we need to ask of God. He will give us the assurance that he'll give us the answer. But the anesthesia here is let him ask in faith without doubting. Don't doubt because of eternal consequences. Don't doubt because you think that there's something going on in you that's causing this trial, that's going to keep God. You know, God's going to stick you right there until you learn your lesson. That's not always true. But sometimes God wants to stick us there because there's a lesson that he, we need to learn. Sometimes we're there just because God wants us to grow in patience and understanding. And so... It says that if you ask God, he will give generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf or the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What we see here is the conclusion of the trials. The proof of our true faith is coming up, and he says to us that the rewards come, but be careful. Don't doubt. Because doubt is like a storm. It will toss you to and fro. And what's interesting is that a lot of times, all throughout the Bible, God uses storms. You know, when Jesus sent the, the disciples a couple times over across the lake and the storm came, you know, it was about what? Testing their faith. What's interesting about storms is this. Storms are out of control. In other words, you ever, have you ever been in a storm in a boat? I remember when I, I went to Japan in a, in a ship, and, and we had to dock outside the Tokyo Harbor because a typhoon was coming up. And, man, everybody was doing the same thing, bending over the railings and chucking. We were, I mean, this is, nothing, was, nothing was level. There was nothing horizontal. We were just, everywhere we looked, it was like, it was like being in an earthquake. <clears throat> and a storm is the same way. There's no direction. It's a, a white cap here, a shelving here, a big wave, little wave. You're on a high peak. You're in a low valley. And you never know what's going to happen. And what he's saying here is don't let your doubt become like a storm. Don't let it carry you away emotionally. Don't let it have control of you. Because if you doubt, if you doubt, then he goes on and says what? Like a surf and the sea driven and tossed forth. For let the man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, double-minded. 
It's real simple. The Word of God says we can have two types of minds. We can have the mind set on the spirit, which is life and peace, or the mind set on the flesh, which is death. Now, the death it's speaking about there is not eternal salvation. It's talking about the inability for the soul to be alive. The inability for the soul to have that abundant life that Jesus said when he says, I come to give life and give it abundantly. What Jesus is saying here is that if you give in to the emotions, if you give in to the rhetoric of the lies of the devil, if you give in to this unstableness in your life, and you don't draw close to God, it's like a storm that will just toss you everywhere. There will be no control, no understanding, and you will be unstable. Now watch this. In all your ways. It will affect your life, your family, your relationships, your work. It will seep into every area of your life. Because where is it coming from? From in here. From your heart. And as a man thinketh in his heart, Proverbs says, he is. And so we see here, conclusion of the trials in verse 12. And I close with this. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised for those who love him. Now, isn't it interesting that James says that the blessing comes because of what? Love. Trials are there to teach us the wisdom of how to live and walk in love. And what James is saying here is happy is the man who perseveres under trial and has been approved, and he will receive the crown of life. Now, what's interesting here is this word crown of life. Literally in the Greek, it means the crown which is life. It's that abundant life. Jesus says when you persevere in these trials, as you grow and mature into Christ's likeness, as you learn to walk in love, as you learn to do the things of the Spirit, as you learn to have the mind of Christ, you will come to a place that you will become an overcomer. Overcomer is a prerequisite of the environment that we live in today. We are to be overcomers. In Revelation 3.12 it says, To him who overcomes I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down on my father with his, on his throne. 2 Timothy 2.12 says it in a trustworthy statement, For if we died with him, he will also live with him. And if we endure, watch this, we will also Reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Close with this thought. Trials are about teaching us how to walk in love. Trials are about growing in Christ's license. Trials are about learning to be an overcomer because when we overcome, we bring ourselves to a place in our maturity in Christ that when we get to heaven, God will assign a place for us to reign with him. And just as there is order in heaven and there's order on earth, there's going to be order in the heavenly kingdom. There are ranks in the angels. There are ranks in the demons. There are ranks in the apostles. If you, if you study the apostles, you'll see that there are three sets of four, the inner circle, the mid-circle, and the outer circle, who is closest to Jesus. But the thing about the ranking, the thing about the serving, the greatest is what? Is the one who serves in love. 
And here's why. Because when we get to heaven, you will never be able to learn about love. Because love will already be there. And you will be perfected in love. God wants us to learn love here and now. And if we love him, he says what? We will keep his commandments. We will walk in the walk of love. This is the only place where we can learn what love is about. Because this is where the battle is, to walk in love. This is where Jesus so loved the world that he what? He died. He gave himself up for the Father and for us. And so this is where God wants us to learn about love and about character and growth and maturity. And so James is giving us this here, and we will receive the crown of life, life abundantly. We will be the overcomers. We will be Christ-like, and we will learn to to walk in the light of Christ and in the life of God and in the love that he provides to his spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you because James, above all people, knew what suffering was about. And Lord, we know that he was one who had the why of what suffering was about. And he knew how to live it. And he gives us now the how to live through trials. Lord, as we grow and we mature and we bear our trials and we grow from them, Father, may we have patience from overcoming as James did. May we learn the pleasure and joy of serving you and growing in you through these trials. May we have patience in being tried and tested and proven. May that perfect result, that completeness in our soul, be a work of your Holy Spirit as we invite you in these times. But Lord, more than anything else, I pray for the positions that we have in you. Thank you, Father, that in you we are complete and in you we have the knowledge and understanding of God's will for us. Help us to follow your example, Father God, through your Son, in your word, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we will just promise you that above all else, that we will try and work at being faithful. And when we can't, we will confess to you, Lord, and ask that you would just help us, Lord, that you would just pick us up, that you would help us to move forward, to learn to walk in love in such a way that your life and your light and your love would manifest to others and that they would experience your joy and your glory and your peace. And so, Father, we pray for the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that brought Christ to the cross, the peace that allowed him to to die for us that we might live. Help us, Lord, in all things, in all trials, to die to ourselves and to live for you, that you might receive the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Uh, anybody have any questions? And, um, when we ask a question, you repeat the question for the sake of the recording, and okay. then uh, comment on it as best you can. And I'll, I'll start off. Uh, in light of the truth you've just shared, in Matthew 8, Mark 4, and I think Luke 8, the story of Jesus calming the sea. And all three records, the writers recorded, he not only rebuked the wind and the waves, but he rebuked the disciples. Can you comment on that? You were stating that in three areas of the Gospels that Jesus, as the disciples were in the storms, that Jesus rebuked the storm and made it calm down, but then he also rebuked his disciples. And I think what we need to understand here is that 
it was this was not a rebuke of Jesus to the disciples. He said you had little faith. He wasn't talking to them about the 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 fear of the storm. He was talking about their inability to recognize Jesus in the midst of their presence. And see, so often we our eyes are on the storm. Our eyes are on the trials. And yet the, the, the God of the universe resides within us. You see? And so what we have here is Jesus showing the disciples their own heart. And so what he did was, see, and you notice he didn't rebuke the disciples first. He rebuked the storm first. Why? Because he's faithful and he takes care of the problems. He takes care of that situation. Because, you know what, while we're in our fear, when we're, when we're in our, our just, you know, our craziness of going through a trial, do you think we're going to hear God? No. We're more worried about us than we are him. And that's why sometimes the trials go longer until we finally learn to quiet down and not allow that fear to take over. Once he dispelled the, trial, the, the storm, then he said to them, ye of little faith. In fact, it was with Peter. When Peter walked out, and Jesus, when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, come to me. You know, Peter had his eye on Jesus. He stepped out of the boat, and, and, and the Gospels record that he took notice to the storm. See, he took his eyes off of Jesus again. And what happened? He sank. See, the principle there is this. And we can relate it back to Peter when, he was, when, when, he, when Jesus was being uh, whipped and, and, and uh, persecuted. And three times they asked Peter, aren't you one of the disciples? And three times Peter said, no, not me. Not me. And then he gets into the boat, and Jesus says, come to me, Peter. And Peter walks out to him. He had his eyes on him. He was supernaturally walking, but then all of a sudden, poop, he sank. But then if you go back and you see what happened to Peter after Christ came and the Spirit came and Pentecost came and Peter had the Spirit of God and the Word of God in him, he was supernaturally enabled to do whatever he needed to do. He was bold. You see, with his denials, he was weak. He had, he had fear. And when Jesus was in his presence, he, he, he had Jesus in his presence, but he still was looking at the things of the world. But it wasn't until the presence of Jesus was in him they had that supernatural ability to overcome. So I think that's what those are those three are showing us. The key to going through trials is to look on Jesus. Yes. Going through trials instead of looking on Jesus. Because trials are there to mature us and to help us to teach us to walk in love. Anybody else? Any other questions? Okay. We'll, we'll give Radio Land a chance. Okay. Anybody there? Hello. Hey, you got any questions or comments? No, I think the the, the, the lesson was rather rather well put together. I, I I got a lot from it, especially the part about going through storms and keeping your eye on God. Uh, I I found that rather it, it it definitely related to me. I I go through a lot of a lot of storms, and sometimes I lose sight of what I'm supposed to be seeing. So is this Jack to... Porter? It sure is. All right, man, we are delighted to have you with us, sir. All right, we're going to uh, keep you included from here on out. But...
Would you like to hear some practical wisdom and life-changing truth penned by a brother who spent more time with Jesus Christ than any one of the original disciples? Come join us at Generations Church each week for a live men's Bible study as we learn from the book of James, featuring over a dozen different speakers sharing from their hearts personal illustrations and life-changing applications sure to revolutionize and renew the minds of everyone attending. If you can't make it here, you can still join us from anywhere in the world via telephone. For a live conference call that will include you in this biblical journey, simply call us at 712-432-1500. That number is 712-432-1500. At the prompt, dial 743-883 and then hit the pound sign. That code again is 743-883 and then hit the pound sign. And that will connect you to us each Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time right here at Generations Church of Granbury, Texas. God bless you. Come join the gang.